are live. It's 12 noon on Wednesday, and that means it's time for another live episode of the Pastor Mike Drop Podcast. Hello, everybody. Hello. Emily, my co-host, how are you today? I'm wonderful. How are you? Good. We have some super duper pastors joining us today. Yes, we do. Pastor Amanda Neppel. Hi, Amanda. Hello. Amanda leads our women's ministry and our whole adult discipleship team here in West Point. You do yes. it well. Well, she thank you. Well. I was going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> and Andy Hermanson, who leads our Grimes campus. Hi, Hello, Andy. everybody. Hello. Nice to see you guys. Good to see you. you. Too. What, what's happening in Grimes? Uh, lots of stuff. We're reading the Bible every day, which has been fantastic. It so, is. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Getting ready for Easter, which turns out we happens every year. So we're getting ready for it. So, yeah. 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 And you see the Bible reading stuff, Amanda, as our discipleship pastor, mm-hmm. like as much as anybody. Mm-hmm. You're, it's exciting, isn't it? It's so exciting. And the way that people are getting into it, the way that people are getting engaged, the way that mm-hmm. people are asking questions and learning things that they didn't know before, the way they're um, realizing the Bible is actually really interesting. Who yeah. knew, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, yeah. it's relevant. <laughs> yeah. It, it's inspiring. It's transformational. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And it's a, and it can be a little bit confusing in places. Yep. And I think we just have to acknowledge that, right? I mean, yeah. when you're talking to people, you're like, yeah, it feels difficult sometimes because it is. Like, yeah. it's mm-hmm. not like you're doing it wrong. Um, and there's a lot of right. reasons for that. Um, but it's difficult for us as well. Like, we've had mm-hmm. conversations yeah. away from this podcast where we're like, okay, we got to talk that through. Yeah. What is going on? <laughs> we we, we, we got to go down deep into yeah. some sources to, yeah. to find some stuff. But that's part of the reason we have this podcast yes. yep. mm-hmm. is to take on the questions that we're hearing out there and then to encourage you to, to ask. You know, you can do that in the comment section on YouTube, on Facebook. Uh, Kelsey uh, Woodruff, our wonderful social media director, is here uh, monitoring those. We get to as many of those as we can. We can't get to all of them because a ton come in, so those are sprinkled in as we go, too. But we do want to encourage you to do that. And the questions we can't get to, we encourage you to to uh, you know take them to your Bible study groups. Take them to us. Send them via email. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all available for that and would love to hear more. We're getting a ton of questions. Yeah. Yep. I don't know what your email inbox looks like, but I love it. I would yep. rather do that than um, a, a lot of the other things, because this is the stuff that produces fruit, and, yeah. and it's wonderful. So, um, And if you're watching or listening to this podcast on demand, it's not Wednesday at noon for you when you're doing mm-hmm. this. We do it live. Uh, we don't edit it, so it's just raw. It's, it's right from our hearts and our minds uh, to your ears and your eyes and hopefully your heart and mind as well. Uh, but we're live on HopeOnline.tv. We're live on YouTube. We're live on Facebook. And we're live on the Hope app, which means you can watch us on Apple TV or Roku or your smartphone. And then we're on demand and any of your favorite podcast platforms. I'm told that uh, Spotify is the big one now and Apple Podcasts are like 80% of podcasts out there, but we're also in other places as well. So that's where you can find us. That's where you can tell your friends to find us. And thank you for spreading the word. This podcast is getting big. I think I need to get nicer shirts. I, I don't know. I, I, I think for those who watch it and don't just listen, maybe you know I should up my wardrobe game a little bit, but I can't because that's not me. But anyway, okay. <laughs> this is not what we're here to do. Okay, Talk okay. about what I wear, you guys wear, we're, we're wardrobes. We are here to dive into some really good questions about what we've been reading this week together as a church family as we read the whole Holy Bible together in a year. So with a little help from Ted Lasso, let's get into some questions. Why don't we just jump right in? Anybody got any questions? Oh, yeah. No, should have saw that coming. Okay, to start us out again, in the Old Testament, we have a familiar story of the book of Ruth. Tell us what you learned this time around, Andy. Yes, yes. Uh, A a nice quick read, right, to get through the book of Ruth. Uh, I just was really struck, I think, in the the first chapter, right? So here's the deal. It turns out life can be a little difficult at times. (laughs) Uh, Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Amen. Uh, And we say it all the time, right, Christianity, but life in general, it is a team sport. We need people. And I just was struck again. Let's just go back. How many of us uh, would love to have more friends like this? I will go wherever you live, right? I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God, right? I will... Uh, I will help you. I will be there for you. I will go the distance with you. Uh, one of the phrases I feel like I've heard so many times being on staff here at Hope for 15 years, part of the Hope movement, right, is that we're better together. And mm-hmm. I just think it's so easy sometimes to think of church as just something we do uh, at our convenience, when in reality, the metaphor the Bible gives us is the church is a family, right? And family shows up in the hard times, the good times. And I just think Ruth is a really great example of that and the fact that God's never done with us, right? He mm. can take difficult situations mm. and spin them around and bless us in the midst of it. So, 
Yeah. You're you're that's that's so good. Ruth is it's a short read, but it's mm-hmm. a brilliant read. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so good. It, and it's written uh yeah, just with with a real elegance. Mm-hmm. There's symmetry to it. So it opens in the time of the judges. We just read Joshua and Judges two weeks before this. Ruth is like this breath of fresh air (laughs) because it's not entertaining. Well, it's a little more human drama and relationship, you know, kind of connections. And and we find ourselves really easily in these stories, I think. And, you know, you talked about it. What a wonderful friend Ruth is where you go, I'll go. Yeah. Um, You know, your God will be my God. I'm with you, even though uh, the other daughter-in-law decides I'm I'm going my own way. And the joke I wanted to make of this is, this is evidence you can have a great relationship with your mother-in-law, right? (laughs) Now, to be fair, if my mother-in-law is watching this, Dawn, I love you. Right? She makes it easy, I'm sure. (laughs) Yes, that's right. And hopefully you'd be that. She puts up with a lot having me around. There you go. And hopefully you'd be that kind of son-in-law if you were put in that situation. (laughs) Well, and that's part of why Ruth is written, is it forces us to examine our friendships, our relationships, our commitments to family and relatives yeah. mm-hmm. and how deeply devoted we are to those things in a godly way. But Ruth opens in the time of judges. So it's in the midst of all that drama and all that chaos. And so there's tragedy and death, but it closes with joy and birth. And mm-hmm. so there's that beautiful symmetry there. And then in the internal chapters two and three, there's also this symmetry. Of, it always starts, chapter two and chapter three both start with Ruth and Naomi making a plan for the future. And then there's a meeting between Boaz and Ruth that is pivotal, that's mm-hmm. instrumental, that's very important. And then each of those two chapters concludes with Ruth and Naomi rejoicing for something that God has given to them. It's also worth noting um, God's name isn't used a whole lot right. in the book right. of Ruth, and yet God's got his fingerprints all oh, over right. it. It's it just it just continually moves through. And to me, I think that's the beauty of Ruth that really stands out the most. God's weaving together his purpose with our human decisions. Yeah. And sometimes we don't always acknowledge God's presence in our day-to-day, ordinary, mundane stuff, mm-hmm. but God is. Absolutely. And book the book of Ruth concludes then with this genealogy. I think it's always interesting to note how a book ends. Mm. And it ends the very last verse in Ruth 4, verse 22, is Obed was the father of Jesse, Jesse was the father of David, and this traces all the way back to Ruth. So you start to think, well, these are just ordinary people leading their ordinary lives, and what's the point of this being a whole book of the Bible? And then you realize, like, the Bible just hits us with it at the end. So Ruth had a son, and if she wasn't faithful, that wouldn't have happened in the way it did, and it wouldn't have been that one. And then that child had a child, and that child had a child, and so on and so on and so on, and then it led to King David, yeah, mm. who who is the hero king of the Old Testament. And then we know from New mm-hmm. Testament in our earlier readings in Matthew in the beginning of Luke, Jesus is a descendant of David. Yeah. So the salvation of Noemi uh, and her family, Naomi, I always get that. <laughs> we have a really good friend in our church who is Noemi, and I always oh, want to say yes. Noemi. Yeah. And so Naomi and her family are restored, but it's bigger than that. And there's yeah. this massive hint at the end. It's like, yeah. And so God can do really extraordinary things through our ordinary lives too. What? That leads to the salvation of the whole world. Right. Wow. <laughs> well, and what kills me in this is they had no idea, yeah. right? So they're just being themselves, their faithful mm-hmm. selves, and God uses that. It's like, man, what what did they get to heaven some and we're speculating, of course, right? But did they ever get that perspective as God given them? I mean, it's just it's just cool. What, the choices we make today, we have no idea. Right, how God's going to use down the road. So. 100%, yes. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Yep. Okay, then switching to our New Testament stuff in Luke, what do you want our podcast listeners to know about these three parables found in Luke 15, Amanda? Yeah, um, these parables are probably some of the most well-known passages in the New mm-hmm. Testament. I mean, you don't have to really know, you don't have to know much about the Bible to <laughs> have said, to have heard of the lost son or the, you know, the lost sheep or the, the prodigal son, I should say. Um, and one of the things that I love about these parables the most, kind of grouping all three of them together, is they reveal to us in a very real, a very human way, the character of God. Mm-hmm. And I think if I could even just take a look at Ruth for a second and kind of weave her into this. One of the first things we learn about Ruth is that she's a Moabite. And so she's someone who we've been hearing all throughout in the <sighs> books leading up to this, how horrible those people are, mm-hmm. um, how they are just diametrically opposed to what it is that God is doing. But Ruth is an individual within that community whose heart uh, is not uh, what we might expect it to be. 
So let's keep that in the back of our mind. Then we look at these parables and we see the character of God. One of the things that I um, love to remind people of is if you really want to know God's heart, look at how Jesus showed up on the earth. Look at how Jesus interacted Mm -hmm. with people. And that's going to help you to get a clear understanding of what God's heart truly is. We see that when we look at the individual Ruth as well. Mm -hmm. But there are so many of us who, for whatever reason, would prefer to see God as vengeful. um, And we've we've come by that potentially honestly, if we're just doing a surface reading of especially our Old Testament readings so far, but we want to see God as quick to punish, uh, quick to be vengeful. Uh, we hear the words jealous God, you know, all that, and all that comes, brings a negative. Especially for the people us. we don't like. <laughs> right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, yes. Could, yeah, God, could you be vengeful over there? That'd be awesome. We both know they deserve it, don't for, we? For their sins, not mine. Right. Please, yeah. by all means, yeah. right? Um, but when we say things like, you know, uh, God is pursuing you, yeah. God is uh, intimately involved in the details of your life. God's not letting you go. When we say things hmm. like that, we get that from the character of God that Jesus revealed to us in the parables. And so that is, it's just so, it's just a really good balance. I think all of us at many of us, I shouldn't say all, but a lot of us have a tendency to, uh, look to God as the God of the law, the Mm -hmm. God who is uh, put those those laws in place, uh, and then by not following those laws, we are excluded from His kingdom and His goodness. Mm -hmm. Like it's all. we see God as all law. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this, and you talked about it this last weekend, uh, Pastor Mike, that um, it's you have to hold those things in tension. It's yeah. law and it's grace. Yeah. And the parables are Jesus teaching us about God's grace, which is beautiful. It mm-hmm. is so be- needed. It yeah. is beautiful. Luke is starting to hit it hard. I mean, yeah. Jesus is the one doing it, but the way Luke orders his gospel... He's, he's doing exactly what you just said. He's, he's really going to challenge those who want it just to be law, no gospel mm-hmm. when it comes to the nature and, and character and um, what God does, the activity of God. But this, these are three stories. This is the only time in any of the four gospels that Jesus responds to something he hears with three parables. Mm-hmm. It's like a triple play. Mm-hmm. It's like, I've, I've had it with you. It's kind of what he's saying, how, how yeah. off you are in this. I mean, yeah. look at the beginning of Luke 15. Yeah. Tax collectors and other notorious mm-hmm. sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus, as he often did, responds with a story, a yeah. parable to make his point, Mm -hmm. but this time and the only time, it's one, two, three, three in a row, and they all make the same, not exactly the same, but very similar points. There's certainly Mm -hmm. a common theme Mm -hmm. that lost people, as we are fond of saying around here, and we get it right out of Luke 15. It's one of our core values Mm -hmm. at church. Lost people matter to God, and so they necessarily have to matter to us as the church if we're going to be faithful. It's tempting for the church in the world today to say, um, let's just be holy huddles. Let's just get mm. people together who agree with us, who see the world the way we see it, uh, socially, politically, um, you know, in, in, in neighborhoods, uh, uh, ethnicity, uh, race, what, what, demographic. Let's just have a church where everybody's like us. It's just not biblical. Mm-hmm. You right. just can't support that biblically. Um, and here is a just, you know, uh, exhibit A on that. Jesus saying... No, that's what the religious people want to do in his day. But I, it's not going to be that way with me or with my followers, because if you're going to be faithful to God, if you're going to be a faithful follower of mine, you're going to make room for lost people. You're going to make room for people who maybe uh, traditionally have been um, ostracized and excluded from God's kingdom by religious people. But the irony and the beautiful thing is God doesn't exclude them. God is chasing after them. Mm-hmm. So parable of the, of the lost sheep, you know, he, the shepherd leaves behind the 99 to find the one lost one. That's, that's God. Parable of the lost coin. The woman turns her house over to find the lost coin. Parable of the prodigal or the lost son. The lost son wanders off. And this is the one that really hits because this isn't no. just some sort of random coin that got lost or, or even right. a, an animal. Mm-hmm. This is a human being. This is us. Mm-hmm. When we wander away from God... One last quick thing. It wasn't that many Sundays ago that somebody came up to me after the 11 o'clock service, a young man, I would say college age. He's clearly like 
got his life kind of together in a way, but not, and he starts shaking and he starts like getting emotional. Wow. And he says, I haven't been to church in seven or eight years. Listen to this question. Is it okay that I'm here? Mm. And I said, of course. And he says, but you don't understand how against God I've been. You don't understand the things I've done. But I said, I don't care. Mm -hmm. Um, More importantly, God doesn't care. And we have Luke 15 to remind us lost people matter. So I told him, I said, let me tell you a story. A man had two sons. And the lost one turned around, repented, started coming back, rehearsed his speech. Like, here's what I did wrong. My favorite part of the story is the father sees him and runs to him. That's God. God's the father in the story and says, you know, put a ring on his finger, kill the fatty calf, we're going to have a party because this son of mine was lost and now he's found. He was dead, now he's alive. Yeah. Yeah. As a farm kid, it's interesting reading that uh, because we think, oh, the inheritance, man, that must have been really challenging, right? But they actually had to sell, at least one of the commentaries I read talked about the possibility of selling land. Uh, to be able to create that inheritance, to liquidate mm-hmm. it, to be able mm-hmm. to sell it. So there's identity, oh, wow. there's public shame, right? There is just uh, just a whole lot of inconvenience with that and all of that. Where is the father, though, in the midst of all of that, right? Yeah. He's, he's, he's waiting. He's got his eyes on the horizon. Mm. God's always ready yes. to welcome us home. Yeah. What, a, what a good God we have. And aren't you glad we invited a pastor farmer to this episode <laughs> right. so you, you can, you can bring that up for us? <laughs> I haven't really asked my up. parents to sell any land yet, but that's, you know... <laughs> But, we'll you, see. but you get that in a way that yeah. those of it's us who deal. didn't grow up that way mm-hmm. might not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So same story, new question. What's the deal with the older brother in <laughs> the story of the prodigal son, Mike? Mm-hmm. Well, the older brother discovers the banquet and gets angry. Um, he refuses to go. The father finds him and says, this is all in Luke 15. You don't get it. Mm-hmm. So, so God in this story is saying to the Pharisees, "Yeah, that's who the older brother is in this story. Or mm-hmm. let's not just talk about them. It's any of us religious people mm-hmm. who start to think they don't belong in church, whoever they is. They, 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 they don't have a right to be here. They have to earn it. They, they, sh- they should have to do a bunch of things before they can come. You just don't find that in the story. You, you, the father doesn't even let his prodigal, rebellious younger son who blew it all, doesn't even let him finish the confession because he already knows his heart has repented. It's changed. He's turned around, literally. So the older son... We could even say justifiably, in a, in from world from a world mm-hmm. justice perspective, worldly justice perspective, says this isn't fair. And the father says, mm-hmm. you know what's not fair? You've always had the better part. You've always had the inheritance. You've always been my son. You're overestimating how good it is to wander off on your own mm-hmm. uh, and be apart from the father, be apart from God. You've always had the better part. You've, you've always been blessed in this way. But this continues to remain a challenge and a temptation for modern churches, for modern Christians mm-hmm. like me. I'll start with me first, is when we're dismissive of sinners, especially the ones that we don't like, especially the ones that we and usually that's the sin we fear the most, then we miss a major point of Luke's gospel and of Jesus' ministry that lost people matter, and it's good to celebrate that. And those who are found and have always been found, <laughs> we're missing a really good party when we don't see it the way God sees it the way Jesus teaches it in this story. Yeah, I would just say one thing about that. We are so quick to forget that grace isn't fair. We're so quick to say, Mm -hmm. it's so offensive. We're so quick to say to the little brother, uh, we join with the older brother and say, well, that's not fair. Mm -hmm. I've always been here, but we forget that grace isn't fair and it's not fair in our favor, right? Uh, We all benefit from that because we've all fallen short. And the older brother, what a miserable way to live. (laughs) What a miserable way. He was so jealous and petty and unforgiving that he couldn't enjoy this party. Yeah. 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 Grace, grace is offensive, and grace opens us up to all sorts of celebrations that we're going to miss if if we turn it into a Pharisaical approach to what Christianity is. It's just not that. It is, it is a celebration. Um, it, yeah, I I think it's a really good spiritual litmus test. If you can't be happy for somebody who's being blessed with something, then you need to take a look at your heart. That's really mm. good. Right? Yeah, good yeah. word. Okay, moving to another part of Luke in chapter 16. What does Jesus' story about the rich man and Lazarus tell us about heaven and hell and wealth, Andy? Well, if you want to get really simple and concrete, uh, it exists, right? Uh, There is a place other than heaven. Uh, Sometimes churches, preachers, Christians 
love to become universalists and forget that. So I think mm-hmm. we want to hold law and gospel together, right? So God. heaven and hell both exist, yep. not just one. Right. And Bi- I, and biblically I, speaking. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I think God loves us enough. If we want separation from him, I think he loves us enough uh, to allow us uh, to experience that. I think he, you know, the uh, Bible talks about the fact that he wants everybody to be saved, but that's not necessarily what everybody chooses. So mm-hmm. uh, we believe that. I think the other thing I would just say quickly is that Wealth isn't going to save you, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we we can experience that. It's easy to put our trust and our hope in that. Got to be really careful, though, because people love to go way too far and say that money is bad, right? And actually, it is a way that God blesses us. It's a tool that God has given us, and He calls us to steward it well. It's mm-hmm. really easy, especially in a culture like ours, uh, to allow that to become uh, either our comfort zone or our identity and I think long-term, it just doesn't offer those things. So yeah. we need to look somewhere else for our hope. Mm-hmm. We definitely do. The The other thing about this is this is not just random stories that have no connection to yeah. each other. <laughs> so here again, the the rich man, it's interesting, the rich man is unnamed. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And the, the beggar is named Lazarus. And so it's almost as if Jesus is saying, I'm going to care enough about this beggar. I'm going to uh-huh. name him. Mm-hmm. And the rich man isn't. But here again, the rich man represents the Pharisees who love their money, the Bible says uh, right here in Luke's gospel. And because they love their money so much, it's not just that they think because they have money and the beggar is poor that they somehow get rewards that he's not going to get. It's that they think they're better people than he is. They've been so dismissive of him because of his poverty, because he's a beggar. Uh, and then Jesus just flips the script again. It's the, it's the big shocking surprise, which, boy, if there's a theme in Luke's gospel, it's he keeps surprising us. Mm-hmm. Who's in? Yep. Right. The beggar. Who's yep. out? The people who thought for sure they were in, the rich man in this story, even to the point where he's in hell and he says, tell the beggar who's in heaven to come and serve me, right. you know, to come and take care of me. Wow, that's arrogance. Um, and, and it's false security based on religiosity, which is very dangerous for them, and it's very dangerous for us. Um, It's really brilliant how simple these stories are, yet how deep they go. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like you'd think God is telling these stories, (laughs) and he is. Interesting, yeah. Mm -hmm. This whole segment has so much just to do with faithfulness, and where does your... where. Uh, where does your heart lie, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. what is your heart committed to? Is your heart committed to the true riches of the kingdom of heaven, or is your heart committed to um, the temporary fleeting riches of this life that aren't even real riches when you compare them to the kingdom yeah. of heaven? Mm-hmm. Um, just the faithfulness theme that kind of comes through this, and and Jesus uses the example of wealth and uh, money here, frankly, a lot uh, as yeah. a way for us to to really dig deep into our faithfulness. Like you said, Andy, if we can't be happy for someone else's successes uh, and also then uh, be present with people in their, uh, in the places that life is not going so great for them. Yeah. There's Jesus is not letting that pass. Right. (laughs) Right. It's really good. I just yeah. want to know, like, the tone and the body language and all of this, right? Because he's just <laughs> dropping bombs on them. And, like, are their faces beat red with anger and frustration? Like, uh, he's just, it's, he's sure. pretty well, brutal. That's a good question. We do know that Jesus, that Jesus is continuing to persistently tell these stories with, without relenting. And Luke will reveal to us, as you guys know, um, and a lot of our listeners know, too, because of he keeps yeah. telling these stories, they want to kill him. Yep. Right. I mean, yep. they, they didn't just kill him for no reason. They kill him because <laughs> he just doesn't want to fit in with their power mm-hmm. and, and, and their way of seeing things. And he doesn't because he's here to make it right, mm-hmm. what they've made wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, to another story, why do you think Jesus noted that nine out of ten men with leprosy who were healed did not return to give thanks? Yeah, so we find this in uh, chapter 17, mm-hmm. uh, where uh, Jesus is continuing on toward Jerusalem, and he reaches the border between Galilee and Samaria. That's 17 verse 11. Mm-hmm. So right away, our ears are going to perk up, right? Because we hear that he's on the border between Galilee and Samaria. So what are those ridiculous Samaritans going to do now, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so he enters a village. Ten lepers are there crying out, Jesus, have mercy on us. Because, of course, they're required to stay outside of town because they're unclean. Uh, they have leprosy. They are 
threat to everybody. Uh, and so Jesus just simply looks at them and he says, go show yourselves to the priests. Uh, this is a non-issue anymore. And so as they, it says, as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Now imagine you have leprosy, mm-hmm. you see Jesus, he says, go show yourselves to the priests. And so you're like, okay, you start moving. And as you go, like, because leprosy is a disease that as it advances, you lose uh, sensation in the tips of your fingers, the tips of your feet. Uh, so often that's what people, I, mm. I wasn't there. I shouldn't say this. <laughs> My reading has I've said heard. to what me, you've heard. Right? Yeah. what I've heard is yeah. uh, that you lose sensation in your extremities. That's one of the ways that leprosy takes your life because mm. you get a wound. You don't know that you have a wound. And we're yeah. thinking first century, like yeah. you're not going to get some uh, neospore on that. And so things are going to go sideways for you uh, pretty quickly. Uh, and so as you you have no feeling in your extremities or limited feeling, you start to move and then you start to get the worst case of, you know, you know your, your toes fall asleep, your foot falls oh, yeah. asleep. All the of a sudden you start to get feeling back. You're going to notice. Mm. And so several of them, <laughs> nine of the 10, keep going. Um, and the one who turned around and came back and said, thank you. Mm-hmm. You can maybe guess based on what we know of how this story started. It was the Samaritan. There it is. Yep. There it is. And so Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Mm-hmm. Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the key to it right there is that it was nine who presumably uh, began out, began uh, live their lives. Probably they should have, uh, they, they, most likely were uh, Jewish uh, by their by their nationality and by their ethnicity, and so Jesus thought is they should have known better. They should have known to say thank you, but they didn't. It was the one who was the foreigner. It was the one who was the least likely to understand who Jesus was and what had happened. And this is the only one who gets it. Um, so that's that's a really big thing. When I look at this kind of. Um, I just noticed then, if you go on, um, Jesus said to the man, stand up and go, your faith has healed you. Because the man, has, it says, it felt, he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. And then Jesus looks at the man and says, stand up and go, your faith has healed you. <clears throat> well, everybody else got healed too. So what's Jesus talking about, right? I can only look at this and assume that what this man got was this one-on-one interaction with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And in addition to having the physical healing, this man had the rest of him healed as well, uh, because there's a lot of wounds that would come from having leprosy. You'd be, dis- you know, yeah. sent outside of town. It's it's shameful. It's lonely. It's all of those things. Intangible wounds. Yes, you're absolutely. Yep, yep, yep. absolutely. Um, and this one who stopped. This is, he's the only one who got to have this interaction mm-hmm. with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, when we think about gratitude and we think about counting our blessings and all those things, people will talk about that a lot. And that's a really good practice. Yeah. But even more important, I think, than counting our blessings is to connect those gifts with the one who gave them. Yeah. Because that's what this man did. And he's the only one then that had this healing of his heart and his soul because yeah. he connected the good thing that had happened to him with the one who gave it and then got to have that, that moment with yeah. Jesus. This is why we're better together. I hadn't thought about it like that. Mm. I mean, attitude of gratitude, how important it is, why God wants us to have it, how it produces freedom and joy. But it also, but it also produces that connection to the yeah. God who made us. When we do us. that on purpose. When, yeah. when, and, and isn't that why God wants us to mm-hmm. do it? Mm-hmm. The, the way Luke traces Samaritans, too, is really fascinating to watch. And our, our really careful Bible readers will pick up on this. In, in, a, in a way that the other three Gospels don't as much. It's not that they don't mention Samaria or Samaritans. And John's going to talk about the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4, but that's later. Here we are in Luke's Gospel. So in Luke 9, Jesus is starting a tour, and he sends some people ahead to prepare for what the ministry he's going to do in the Samaritan village, and he's rejected. One chapter later, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan, this famous parable just when you would think Jesus has had it with the Samaritans too, he flips it yet again. Another shocking surprise. Mm-hmm. It's almost to the point where surprise isn't surprising. That he's going to turn the world right side up again for us and say, even though they rejected me, I'm bringing grace to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Samaritan is going to be the hero of the story. Luke's gospel is the only one that includes the parable of the Good Samaritan. Luke's gospel is the only one that includes this story about the 10 lepers and the one who's healed being who came back with gratitude for God and what God is doing through the healing power of Jesus. The only one's a Samaritan. So then we're going to turn the page into Luke part two, the book of Acts. 
And guess who's going to be there on the day of Pentecost? In addition to a lot of other nationalities and groups, Samaritans, mm-hmm. going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, Luke is just making sure we don't miss this point. Yeah. And he knows his audience has massive prejudice issues against right. Samaritans. And he, just like Jesus won't relent, Luke won't either. He's going to continue to highlight these things, and we can trace this as we read through Luke and Acts. So where do we find ourselves in these stories? Like you were saying, Pastor Amanda, I think it's God's call for us to experience a deeper communion Mm -hmm. with him through gratitude and the gratitude we get because of the blessings. You say, well, God hasn't healed me from my whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, if it's not leprosy, it's... 52 other diseases Mm -hmm. or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. If God heals me, then I'll be grateful. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, God gives us breath. God gives us life. God gives us uh, hope. God gives us salvation. God gives us direction. The list goes on and on and on. And I know it's, it's, like you said, it's not just count your blessings, but we have so much to be grateful for. Mm -hmm. No matter how bad things get, we have so much to be grateful for. Mm. Because no doubt all 10 were elated. Had to have been. Yeah. 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 It was but a life changer. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's like, it's like mm-hmm. that prayer. If only this could happen, yeah. my life would be great. Right. And it happened. Right. But it's just about taking the time for the one who did it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. It really stands out too when not when nine other ones don't. Well, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. You want to be the one. Yeah. <laughs> so so that's our sure that's too. our call in the story. Be the, be one. the one. Yeah. <laughs> be, be the one. Okay, how can faithful Bible readers interpret Jesus' teaching on the coming of the kingdom of God in Luke 17, verses 20 through 37? Yeah, explain the parousia to us, Andy. Yeah, well, we went ahead and conquered the conversation about hell. Let's talk about the end times here. So. <laughs> Take on all the light subjects. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Listen, I, gosh, years ago preached here on Revelation. We were going through the whole Bible in a year uh, in a different way through a book called The Story, and I had to do mm-hmm. Revelation in a whole sermon, one sermon, the whole book of Revelation. <laughs> I was like, man, uh, Jesus wins, right? Yeah. And I think that's where you got to begin when you look at this whole thing. What is what does Scripture across the board really want us to understand? We may not know all the specifics about what things look like. We have to live in that tension of of knowing some but not knowing all. God knows all, uh, and yet we know how it ends. God wants us to know that and to understand that. So this this passage, if I'm not mistaken, talks about though some will be taken and some will not, which immediately I have images of the cover of the latest Left Behind book flashing in my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Good and, reads. Yes, fun, good reads, yeah. entertaining, not necessarily the way that everybody reads the scriptures. No. Mm. In fact, uh, reading one commentator this week, again, I was reminded, uh, gosh, there's uh, vultures are mentioned at the end of this passage, mm-hmm. which if you get into the actual Greek could also be synonymous with eagles. Now, we think vultures, Mm. we think roadkill in the desert southwest, and they're showing up, whatever, right? Well, actually, you could see this as a parallel uh, vultures, eagles, same word-ish, maybe a hint and an allusion to the Roman army seal, the legions, actually, their logo, if you will, on their armor uh, was an emblem uh, that was an eagle. And so, you know, we're not necessarily talking about end times, end times here. When we talk about the coming of the kingdom of God, it's it's the way that God wins. Because again, right, our hearers, Luke's, Luke's readers are thinking they want to be liberated today from Rome, right? And so Jesus is talking about a rescue uh, there as well. And so I think it's couched somewhat in that idea that, yes, like we know that God wins. Do we know what it looks like? Not necessarily uh, but there is victory, and God's going to deliver us even from Rome. Not yeah. that we can relate to that personally today, but yeah. Yeah, I was just going to you know, comment on <clears> – I <throat> made a comment in a different meeting yesterday about keeping our own house in order and the yeah. importance of that. Um, mm-hmm. And what you see here is you're, you're just not going to know. And Jesus says this elsewhere, yeah. right? So it'll be like it was for other people. You're going to be living your daily life. And, you know, that's what was happening in the time of Noah. People were just going along doing their thing. And then all of a sudden it started to rain. Mm-hmm. And then it yeah. just didn't stop, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but people were living their normal lives up until then. I have a friend uh, whose mother would talk about uh, when Jesus came back and would have all sorts of comments about, like, where do you want to be yeah. when Jesus comes back? So she would use us as her argument against like casinos or different places, that, you know, like, you know, like, do you, re- well, when Jesus comes back, do you want him to find you in a casino or a similar type situation? Right? I was <laughs> thinking about that last time I was at the bar at Perry Meadows and I, I pondered it. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's not where I hang no, out. But, yeah. but, but you get the point, yeah. right? Like yeah. none of us knows. It's like the, the bridesmaids and, you know, uh, they weren't really paying attention. So their oil ran out. They weren't ready. 
the time and the place and how it all goes down mm. is significantly less important than um, are you are you doing what what you know to be right? You know, mm. I mean, because that's much more important than the time, hour, place, how, all of that kind of stuff. Right. Sure. Amen. In verse twenty of Luke seventeen, the Pharisees asked Jesus when the kingdom of heaven's going to come, and I and I do think, and I know you know N.T. Wright is a big favorite of ours around here, and he's always going to push for this is the fall of Jerusalem eighty seventy, and I think that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I also think that when you just read it for what it is. They're also talking about Jesus coming back. Yeah. They're, they're also both. saying when you mm-hmm. return, when the end of the mm-hmm. world as we know it. So I, th- I don't think it's either or. I think it's a both and. Exactly. Which, which is also going to be kind of blowing people away uh, who just think all this stuff is some sort of like puzzle that we need to piece together about when Jesus is going to come back. And there are a lot of, I hope, well-meaning Christians who teach and preach and believe that there couldn't be anything more important than for us to try to figure out when. At the end of this story, the disciples say, okay, if not when, where? (laughs) And it's not about when, and it's not about where, like you're saying too, both of you are, but Pastor Amanda, you just kind of concluded there, it's about who. It's about the fact that, as you said, Andy, Jesus wins in the end. And, And so, as you said, Amanda... Get your house in order. Right. Don't don't worry so much about the details that aren't. Not only are they not important, but Jesus is making very clear that's not the right question. Figuring out when, or figuring out yeah. where, or even how. It's who. Who do you put your faith in? Who what, who are you focused on? Where 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 are you pointing your life toward? And what are you living for? Then there's this too, which I think is worth noting. Uh, in so many kind of mythological. And, and people try to use the Bible for this. They'll say, well, the reason we talk about Jesus coming really, really, really soon is because the Bible says he's coming soon. And I believe that too. I, but what's soon? We don't right. know. It's kind of a vague right. word. Could be by the end of this podcast or before. <laughs> yeah. It could. Or yeah. it could. And some people would argue that. They say, no, it can't. Because a whole bunch of these other things have to happen first. That's not the way this reads. Mm. And I would, I would encourage people to go back to Luke 17 and read this, if that's what they think. Well, this has to happen first, then that has to happen, then there has to be this many years of this and this many years of that, and then, then, then. Jesus says, you're going to be doing ordinary things. People will be doing their daily business, eating, drinking, buying, selling, farming, building. This is verse 28 of Luke 17, and that's when I'll come. Mm-hmm. And elsewhere in the gospel, this is like a thief in the night. Mm-hmm. So be ready now. Don't, don't put off until tomorrow what you should be focused on today, which is getting your spiritual house in order, Pastor Amanda, as you just said. I think that's so key. It's not about when, it's not about where, because it could be any moment. Mm-hmm. And it's not 42 things have to happen before Jesus comes back. That is a misread of the apocalyptic literature in the Bible. Apocalypse, by the way, just means something as simple as the revelation or the revealing of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So when will he be revealed as the conquering um, son of man who, who judges the, the living and the dead? We don't know when, and we don't know where. We just know it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. It's going to be soon, whatever soon means. And it's going to be all about who, has, who is saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, because those are the ones who win. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, this next part feels really important. Are you ready? <laughs> how, oh, no. how, can we, how can we inherit eternal life? What does it take to stand right before a holy God, and who will inherit eternal life? Amanda, tell us. Okay. How and who? <laughs> okay. Well, Everybody wants to know. <laughs> well, let's take a look at Luke 18 to get this figured out. So yes. we're not just talking about my opinion, but we're mm, talking about what Jesus good. says, right? Always yep. a good idea. Yep. Um, in 18, Luke 18... Jesus shifts just a little bit. We've got a little bit of a break in the action. What we've been talking about in 16 and 17, I believe, has been kind of one discourse, um, but 18 is a different discourse. So we've got kind of a change of subject here. And Jesus begins this discourse by talking about the persistent widow. And he talks about the uh, woman who basically was a pain in the neck for the judge by bringing her calls for righteousness to the judge again and again. And finally, out of sheer frustration, the judge says, fine, I'll do what you're asking. Now, So let's just keep that in our back pocket. But what we see from that is 
she continued to ask. She mm-hmm. continued to come before the judge. She continued to bring her case, um, waiting for the day that her request would be answered, but she didn't give up coming. Uh, and then the next parable that we have is the Pharisee and the tax collector. Uh, and we have the Pharisee who, bless his heart, is basically saying, I am so glad. He's basically, he's the older brother in the parable mm. of mm. the lost son. He's saying, I am so glad that I am not like all these terrible <laughs> people, mm-hmm. right? Like all the rest of y'all and looks around. You can around. smell the arrogance you, a mile yep, away. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, you're, absolutely. You're, you're not just a little self-righteous. <laughs> no, you're you're taking have... the express train of self-righteousness. Yeah. Absolutely. And he looks around and he sees a perfect example of who he's talking about in the tax collector. Uh, and so he says, I am so, Lord, thank you for not making me like this loser over here. So that's, that is essentially mm-hmm. his actual prayer. And then we have the tax collector who did not even dare, this is 18 verse 13, did not even dare to lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. And he beat his chest in sorrow and he said, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. Hmm. And Jesus says in 14, I tell you that this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then the very next thing that we read in Luke One day, some parents brought their little children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. Goes on, Jesus says, let the children come to me and don't stop them for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. Children are a lot of things, but one thing that they are for sure is they are teachable and they know that uh, they're they're a sponge and they they don't worry about what they don't know. Mm. They really, I, I mm-hmm. don't know any kids who worry about what they don't know until they get to a certain age. You get to a certain age, and then it's all about you know how smart they are. Um, <laughs> but but young children, they're not worried about what they don't know, and so. Uh, we see that this is bring your petitions to God. Trust that eventually that he's going to hear them. Also keep in mind, God is God, right? Uh, and we don't get to come before God because we're worthy, which is what the tax or the Pharisee, excuse me, that was his whole presentation. I'm worthy of this God. So like a genie in a bottle, I want you to respond to my prayers and answer my demands because you know we're good, right? We're good, God. Um, but it is the the heart of the tax collector who just poured his heart out. You get the sense that the tax collector must have been at the end of his rope here. Uh, the burdens that he'd been carrying with him, they must have been overwhelming and overpowering. What we don't find out from this parable is if he changed his ways. Uh, and I don't think that's Jesus' point in this particular parable. The parable is he was humble enough to pour himself out um, like like children do as well. You know, that's really fascinating. So... That's such a good summary of this story. And so I'm not, I, I don't think we need to go back into that. But let's take this story and now connect all the mm-hmm. dots. Because yep. here, this is the heart of Luke's gospel. What's he emphasizing? What did Jesus teach? Well, he taught with these stories. And what did these stories reveal? What are, the, what are, these, what are these images that he's painting for us? What, what do they tell us about who God is and who we are and how we get saved and, and who's right and, and how all these things are going to happen? Well, we learned that grace is key. Mm-hmm. We, we learned that ultimately when it's all said and done, it's important to have that balance between law and gospel. But in the end, grace has to win or mm-hmm. none of us have any hope. Mm-hmm. And it's not just people who are, you know, all the different people in these stories, the tax collector here, the persistent widow that you mentioned before at the beginning of Luke 18, um, the, the, blind, the beggar, uh, the blind man at the end of this chapter, and on and on it goes. It's yeah. not just the people who yeah. you wouldn't think and expect. It's also the religious people need God's grace. We, yes. so listeners, <laughs> everybody, yeah. uh, p- podcast <laughs> listeners out there, only by God's grace. It's, and, and it's not because, well, that's our theology. Our theology is our theology because of what Jesus teaches here. Mm-hmm. This is the heart of Luke's gospel. And over and over again, he's making it so abundantly clear. Get off your high horse. Humble yourself. Admit you need a savior instead of like, like the tax collector does in the temple. Instead of pretending you don't, like you're just doing God a big favor mm-hmm. because you're religious. That's not going to do it. It, it. The only way to get right before a holy God is to humble ourselves and admit I'm a sinner. As my favorite uh, theology professor in seminary said, we're closer to God when we admit we're sinners instead of pretending we're saints. Mm-hmm. That's when we actually experience communion with God in its most profound and real way. Yeah, that's good. Good word. <laughs>
Well, it's God's good. His yeah. word. We're, we're, we're just saying, we're just kind of summing it up. Yeah. Okay. Last set of questions. How could Jesus' own disciples misunderstand his words about going up to Jerusalem in chapter 18, verse 31? And what else do people get wrong about Jesus throughout the book of Luke 18? So let me just give a, a quick chapter. timeline and then we can all chime in and yeah. we'll, sure. we'll wrap up this episode because then we're moving on to next yeah. week's mm-hmm. readings. Uh, verse 34. Jesus, the, Luke's gospel says, or verse 31 says, Jesus is going up to Jerusalem. We know he's on this road trip. We know he's making this tour now. And he's been on it since the mountain of transfiguration where he experienced God in this like blow you away, heaven touching earth kind of moment. Mm-hmm. In verse 34, Luke says the disciples didn't get it. They didn't understand why he's going to Jerusalem. Now watch just this theme, just in this one chapter, verses nine to 14, the Pharisees don't get it. The Pharisee in the temple doesn't get it, that the tax collector stands right before God because he's mercifully ask, uh, humbly asking for God's mercy. The Pharisee doesn't get um, it, it, the kingdom of God because he's trusting himself for it in his religious performance. Verse 15, the disciples don't get it. They say, send the kids away. Um, mm-hmm. they, they don't need to bother uh, our rabbi, our, 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 our Jesus. Jesus corrects them. No, you don't get it. You're wrong. Verse 23, the rich man doesn't get it. He doesn't get how wealthy he could be if he gave it all away. Verse 39, the crowd doesn't get it at the end of this chapter because they tell the blind beggar to leave Jesus alone. Okay, so it'd be easy right now for us to go, they all don't get it, we do. Mm-hmm. We don't get it either. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the step where we start to discover, which is also a bit of a relief. To those we said earlier, this stuff can be a little confusing sometimes. Yeah. That's okay. You'll get it. There are answers. It's not confusing. It just seems confusing to us. There, there, I mean, in other words, there's reasons for every word and every story and every phrase and every verse. And the deeper we dive into it, the more we'll see that. Sometimes we don't get it either. But thank God our misunderstandings are uh, not getting it, our, even our bad theology sometimes, our mistakes, even our sin. Thank God that doesn't exclude us from the kingdom of God. That's the whole point here. Mm-hmm. That's what Jesus is teaching as he turns this upside down world right side up. He's saying, even though my own disciples, my gosh, Jesus' mm-hmm. own 12 disciples who are right there with him every step of the way, right. even though they don't get it, because where's Jesus leading them on this tour? He's leading them to a, where's he leading us mm-hmm. as Christians? Yep. Ultimately, it's not to perfect your life, morality, a station you can't arrive at this side of heaven. It's I'm leading you to a cross because that's what you need. Not just them, me, mm-hmm. <laughs> all of us at this table, mm-hmm. everybody listening to me right now. I'm leading you to the place you need to be, which is the place of grace where God's love is poured out for you in a way this world has never seen or known before, and in the only way that's ultimately going to give you any hope. I just find that powerful and beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the gift gets even better when you realize Jesus understood that, right? That we wouldn't get it. Mm -hmm. Hence the Holy Spirit. I find great comfort in the fact that God didn't just take care of everything on the cross, but also left us with his presence through the Holy Spirit to continue to do what? To teach us, right? To remind us. Yeah lead us into the truth because we need that. He loves us way too much to leave us alone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What I heard when you were talking, Mike, was um, it's really a a warning, I guess, of how much we actually resist the thing that we really need, which is the cross. None of us want to admit, it goes against our human selves, right, to admit Mm -hmm. that we need the cross. And I think our human's commitment to ignoring what we don't like, I mean, it's it's really, really impressive. Um, but yeah, we, we need the cross and Jesus will continue leading us there. He's not giving up on a, up on us in that. We see that again and again. Um, but our, our resistance to it is real. Yeah. Mm. Well, a lot of us want to, and we're about to get face to face with that temptation. Mm-hmm. Here comes the end of Lent. Here comes Palm mm-hmm. Sunday. Woo! Palms, everybody party. And mm-hmm. it should be. Mm-hmm. Although there's more to the story there and we'll get into that, um, you know, next week and at worship on Palm Sunday, which is an awesome service. Then it's Holy Week and, yeah. you know, Good Friday's right in there, yep. kind of mm-hmm. key. Mm-hmm. Big deal. And a lot of us say, you know, I'm going to jump from Palm Sunday to Easter. Mm-hmm. I don't, like you just said, I don't want the cross. I, I mean, we know we do, but, but it's like, do we have to zoom in on that so much? Do mm-hmm. we have, because it, mm-hmm. well, why, what's our resistance? I think at least in part, sometimes it's because it's just so honest 
and it reveals something about human nature, about our sin, about my sin, that I don't want to say because the reason Jesus is on that cross is because of us. (laughs) It's because of all of us. It's because he had to is the only way. Uh, And we'll talk more about why he had to die. We'll talk more about uh, the power of the cross because we're getting right into it. But every last thought, everything in the Bible points to this cross. Yes. From the very beginning of Genesis, our need for a Savior is revealed. At the beginning of creation, for the book of Revelation, from the very end, it points back to this cross as our only hope. And so to minimize the cross and to say, well, Christianity really should just be all about fixing people's behavior. It should really be all about condemning people who do sinful things that I don't like. It is, it, it is, that is certainly a part, the law certainly has a role in what Christianity is, faithful Christianity. But apart from the cross, it, it, none of it is, it, it's, it's just not going to rise to the level of being important enough because the law always condemns. It can't save us. The gospel saves. It's the only thing that can. And the gospel means good news. And the good news is God loves you so much. He sent his son to die for you on a cross. Mm-hmm. And if you believe in him, you won't perish, but you'll have everlasting life. I get goosebumps saying that because of how much God loves us, loves me, even though none of us deserve it. Not one of us has earned it or deserve it. Man, if that grace could just become real for everybody and and we started to realize just how good God's grace is, we'd be the one leper um, running back with gratitude. And And that gratitude would lead to a joy and a peace that we'll never find no matter what other things we achieve or succeed in in life. Um, so praise God for his word um, that gives us this direction, that gives us this this move. Yeah. Anything else? Last words, Emily? This is good. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's good to be in the word. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for liking uh, whatever you're supposed to do to a podcast. <laughs> 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 uh, and uh, we love you. God loves you even more. Please remember both of those things, mm. and and it's the powerful love of God that does it. We'll see you in church Sunday. If you um, are out of town in another country, find a good, faithful church near you and worship this God who loves you like that. Thanks for joining us today. Please make sure to like and subscribe on your favorite platform, and we'll see you next time. Yeah.